Hello and welcome to a very special World 1 Stage 1. Unfortunately, viewers of American sitcoms will be familiar with a very special episode. For listeners who aren't aware of that, it's what they say when they're about to give you bad news. When they're about to make the not-so-funny, more socially important episode. In my case, the bad news is that in this very special Christmas episode, I will not be joined, as always, by Jack. It's just Simon. Now, the reason for this is, since the last podcast, which feels like a lifetime ago at this point, the person whose house we recorded in has moved. Unfortunately, this means that our recording studio has disappeared out from under us. Now, finding somewhere that's convenient for both of us at this point is proving difficult. You see, we initially thought we could use Jack's room at university, until we realised that Jack's room at university was radioactive. There was an interference that we just could not remove from the recording equipment. My place is impractical because I live so far out of the town and he has no transport. So until we find a mutually agreeable recording place, it's, I'm afraid, just going to be me. Which is why it's been no one up until this point, as I'm under the assumption that no one wants to listen to just me. However, it is Christmas, and I couldn't leave our literally hundreds of listeners. That scares me. Um, it's true, we have hundreds of listeners, I can hardly believe it myself. But I couldn't leave our literally hundreds of listeners without some World 1 Stage 1 love at this time of year, as well as some guidance. You see, this episode I'm going to be giving the cheap and desperate amongst our listeners, which I imagine is most of us, if you're anything like me, some last-minute shopping advice for that person in your life. But first, there are a couple of news topics I want to cover. First and foremost, the Nintendo Wii. I mean, it just keeps vomiting money like it's returned from the tropics, having drunk a lot of local water. That thing, the supply and demand numbers here are ridiculous. I've heard that the production is up to 1.8 million Wiis a month, and they still can't sell them all. It got so bad recently, I don't know about in other countries, but certainly in England, it has been suggested that they stop advertising the Wii. It's true, they say if they can't meet the demand, they don't need to raise awareness of the product, which is fair. Instead, they're going to put their advertising towards the Nintendo DS. Now, the Nintendo DS is another product that vomits money. What I can see happening here is, just before the Christmas season, raising awareness of the Nintendo DS, when there are thousands of parents out there who can't find a Wii, is just going to cause a run on the handheld, and they're going to be in a situation where they've got two consoles that they can't meet demand for. Okay, that's not actually a bad situation for Nintendo to be in, but it's a sucky situation for the parents to be in. But enough about Nintendo's ability to spawn money out of thin air. There's bigger news. For one, speaking of cheapskateness, Ubisoft are releasing the next Heroes of Might and Magic online for free. It's playable in a web browser. I've gone and checked this out myself, and it's true. If you go to hommkingdoms.com, that's H-O-M-M for Heroes of Might and Magic, kingdoms.com, you can see the new web-based version. It's a bold move. I think platform independence is a good thing if you can actually achieve it. But beyond this kind of strategy gaming, I don't think browser gaming is going to take over from consoles and PCs just yet. I can't see a Firefox-optimized version of Crisis coming anytime soon. Of course, speaking of online gaming, the big news this week is that uh, Blizzard have confirmed they are working on a next-generation massively multiplayer online game. Apparently their recruitment was not for an expansion pack to World of Warcraft. It was definitely for a next-gen MMO. 
However, I'm going to call this one now. A lot of people are getting excited saying World of Starcraft or World of Diablo. I don't think so. I think what we're going to see in more of a Sony Online Entertainment kind of a vein is World of Warcraft 2. Not an expansion, so technically they're not lying, but it is Warcraft. I mean, why are they going to give up a property like that? Especially when they've just merged with Activision. Is Activision, think about who they are now, is Activision going to suggest not doing a sequel? I think not. However, on to the gift advice from the World 1 Stage 1 headquarters. And you'll be glad to know that nothing on this list exceeds $20. £10. That's all we're asking you to spend on your loved one to get them something really special. Our first option is... Well, platform independent, I suppose you could say. There's a website called videogamefigures.com. I'm not endorsing them. It's just one place you can get these things. I'm sure if you shop around, you can find them from other sources. However, they do sell the one-up or super mushrooms from Mario as plushies for $10.95. Now, I will actually give full disclosure here. All prices I'm listing are in dollars, American dollars. So for British listeners, halve it. They also do a question block stress toy, squeezy stress toy, for $6.95. And you can't really ask fairer than that. And who doesn't love Mario? I can't think of many people who don't at least love the artistic style and the culture surrounding it. Now, I've also seen there the radio-controlled Yoshis and Marios from Mario Kart, which in England cost about £10, which falls within my $20 price limit. I think, however, on that site they cost a little more, though. But again, shop around. For Xbox 360 owners, you can, of course, sneak onto their console in the dead of night whilst they sleep, put a bit of money onto their points, and download them an Xbox Live Arcade game. That's a very cheap little way to say I love you. Uh, I would personally recommend Carcassonne, Settlers of Catan, two fantastic German board games that have been converted absolutely exquisitely onto Xbox Live Arcade. $10. It's not a lot to ask. It's very cheap for what they are. I think it's actually cheaper in, in both cases than buying the board game. Plus, you get the ability to play online multiplayer. If that's not your style, there are always the Xbox Originals. A little dearer at $15, but there's some great games there. I mean, obviously, you've got Halo. But ignoring that for a moment, you've got Fable, which I love for some very personal reasons. You've got Indigo Prophecy, or as it was known in some other territories, including my own UK, Fahrenheit, which is a fantastically underrated game. And speaking of underrated, Psychonauts, why do you not own it? Or more to the point, why does your loved one not own it when you have the possibility to buy it for them? That's not the last time Psychonauts will be coming up on my list either. If your loved one prefers the Wii to the 360, he or she, I'm sure, will appreciate a virtual console game. Again, not a great deal of expenditure. $5, $8, $10, and there's a world of games to choose from. NES, SNES, Sega, N64. Just looking at it very quickly, of course, you've got any of the NES Super Mario Brothers for $5, Super Mario World for 8 and of course, one of the greatest games ever made, Mario Kart 64, for $10. It's dirt cheap. I've got them, and I thoroughly enjoy them. And admittedly, I do actually still have my original NES, and there is an N64 sat down by my TV as well, but the virtual console keeps me from having to plug them in. Alternatively, if the person you're buying for actually plays virtual console games, why not get them a virtual console controller or an old GameCube controller? Again, not more than about $20 if you shop around, and it's so much better than the alternative. Now, I am aware that there are people in this world who own PlayStation 3s. I don't know why they do, I just am aware that they do. However, I'm not interested in the PlayStation 3, so if you're expecting me to suggest a cheap present for owners of PlayStation 3s, the only thing I can suggest is 
Well, I'm sure you can get a claw hammer for under $10, probably at a Home Depot store or something like that. And you can use that uh, to claw out their eyes and smash them in the face. For PC owners, there's the option of digital downloads through Steam. Now, there's a good chance that he or she, whoever you're buying for, will already have Steam. If not, create them an account. There's a lot of great games on there. There's the complete id software archive, all of the Quake games, all of the Doom games, they're all dirt cheap. There's of course all of the classic Half-Life material, again, dirt cheap. Even Half-Life 2 is only $20 these days. $20 for one of the greatest shoot-em-ups ever made. It's nothing. Also in the $20 price bracket, you've got Stubbs the Zombie, Vampire the Masquerade, Bloodlines, The Movies, another game to which I have a certain personal attachment. Now, none of those games is perfect by any means. I wouldn't say any of them were candidates for Game of the Year in the year they came out, but they're all great in their own way, and they're all well worth $20. But of course, for $20 on Steam, there's Psychonauts told you that would be coming up again. I'll ask you once more, why do you not own Psychonauts? Why does the person you're buying for not own Psychonauts? And why are you letting the situation continue to exist? Please, God, just go and buy the game. It's wonderful. Of course, that's not all that's available for $20 or less on Steam. And for $20, you can also pick up Portal. Goddamn motherfucking Portal, which, in my opinion, is Game of the Year. A lot of people are saying Bioshock, a lot of people are saying Rock Band, a lot of people are saying Mass Effect. Fuck them. Portal is Game of the Year. I don't care what anyone says. It was worth the price of the orange box alone. So go and buy it. For anyone. Anyone you know who doesn't have it, buy it for them. They deserve it. You know they do. Of course, if you're minted, you might actually consider spending, well, the cost of a new game on someone. If you're going to insist on doing that, be careful. I've had a look and there's actually precious little out. I mean, for the 360, you have the aforementioned Mass Effect, the aforementioned Bioshock, Rock Band, Assassin's Creed, questionable. I've heard some good things about it and I've heard some bad things about it, but I have to tell you, I have not played it myself, so I can't give you a personal feeling on it either way. For the Wii, at least your choice is obvious. Super Mario Galaxy. It's the one and only game out there worth buying someone you love. Someone you don't love? Maybe there are other choices, but someone you do love? It's the one and only choice. Unfortunately, Unfortunately, if they already have Super Mario Galaxy, which they will do if they own a Wii and have any taste, then you need to go back to the virtual console idea, but hey, that's a wealth of possibilities. The PC is also kind of dry. I will say I've had a surprising amount of fun playing SimCity Societies, and more than I expected, it's changed the format in radical ways, but they work, so look into that if you at all like strategy gaming. And I suppose there's Crisis. I don't know what to think about Crisis. I had an awful lot of fun playing the demo, but the aliens in Crisis, they send me to sleep, they bore me. I don't want to play a game that consists largely of fighting them. Give me a version of Crisis that's all about fighting the Koreans, and I'm there. I'm behind it. But the game they've actually made, I find to be an enormous letdown. Now, I have a problem here, in that I've only been talking for 14 minutes or so, and I'm out of information. This is what happens when Jack isn't around. So it's going to be a short one, which is fine, because Christmas is coming, I have other things to do. So I will wish you all a very Merry Christmas, listeners, and I will tell you that my New Year's resolution is to get back to recording podcasts. So hopefully it won't be another six months before I speak to you again. Wish me luck finding somewhere to record with Jack in the future, and we'll return soon. Of course, we may return under a slightly different format. Yes, I'll tell you this now. I've been discussing with Jack changing the boundaries of what we consider to talk about in this podcast. Largely, I want to consider 
classic games regardless of their age. There are some games that do become instant classics. Portal is too good to be ignored. It's not retro by any means, but it is a classic game. So when we return, World 1 Stage 1 may be dealing with classic gaming rather than retro gaming. But don't worry, a lot of the games that we cover will still be retro gaming because, well, that's when a lot of classic games were made, simply put. So feel free to email me world one stage one at gmail.com feel free to tell me how atrocious my choices were my suggestions today and also why the ps3 is wonderful and i do it a complete disservice by suggesting that its owners hammer their own faces or feel free to back me up on this point either way we love to hear from you here at world one stage one and we hope you will hear from us soon goodbye <laughs> You didn't really think we were going to do that to you, did you? Not at Christmas. And not with this podcast being this long. So did you recognise it? Despite all the reviews saying that you should, and all the critical acclaim that suggests that you might have, and all of the awards that say that this should have been one of the most successful games of all time, there's a very real chance you have no idea what you were just listening to. For those of you who do, sit back and relax, you're going to enjoy this. For those of you who don't, pay attention, because we're going to be talking about Double Fine's Psychonauts. Yes, I made a big deal of it in the first part of the show, and now I'm going to tell you why. This is one of the most critically acclaimed, award-winning, industry-recognized games that you have never played. Just why so few people ended up playing this game is a mystery. Really, it had everything in its favor. It's a game made by a man named Tim Schafer, and if you don't know the name, any association with gaming in the past few years means you know one of his games, and I honestly don't care which, they're all excellent. Day of the Tentacle, Secret of Monkey Island, Grim Fandango, Full Throttle. They're all fantastic LucasArts adventure games of the highest caliber. The voice of the lead character in Psychonauts is Richard Stephen Horvitz, better known as Invader Zim himself. And the script was written by Eric Walport who was one of the co-founders of Old Man Murray, one of the most hilarious gaming sites ever written, and also wrote, most recently, for Portal, as well as Half-Life Episode 2 and Team Fortress 2. With a team like that, you know it's going to be gold, and you also know it's not going to be normal. And indeed it isn't. 
Psychonauts originally grew out of a rejected idea for Full Throttle for the lead character to engage in a spiritual journey, one might say, with the aid of certain hallucinogens. Psychonaut itself means a sailor on the mind and refers to people who use trances and hallucinogens to explore the consciousness. So we have a fantastic concept and a fantastic crew. We also have fantastic reviews. Nines, 90% perfect scores. It's an award-winning game acquiring many accolades for writing, characters, originality, and sadly multiple titles for at least for best game no one played. Psychonauts itself is set in Whispering Rock Psychic Summer Camp, and you play a young child named Raz, who in a very early break from convention runs away from the circus. He arrives at Whispering Rock not enrolled, so he only has until his parents arrive to collect him to get as far as he can through psychonaut training. You see, Whispering Rock is an area that was struck by a meteor of pure Cytanium, a metal known for its ability to bring out and enhance psychic powers. It drove the locals completely mad, which is why there is an asylum in the area. However, the government decided to use the location to build a training facility for potential psychics, the Whispering Rock Psychic Summer Camp. They filled in the crash site and turned it into Lake Oblongada. They then staffed the camp with various psychonauts, starting with Mosso Oliander, who is your basic braining instructor. He's a drill sergeant type, the old war horse. His mind is quite literally a war zone. And I say this because in Psychonauts, you play a character who is being trained to attack someone on the psychic level. You literally step inside people's minds. There you can do them good or do them harm, depending on how you behave. So many of the characters are portrayed not only by their physical selves, but also by the representation of their own mindscapes. Oleander's, as I said, is a war zone, a cluttered mess of explosions, dive bombers, and haunting images from wars gone by. His co-instructors are Sasha Nine, a Germanic, highly organised, highly efficient, scientifically minded, logical and orderly psychonaut, he has years of field experience, and his mind is represented as an almost Lichtensteinian cube. And then there's Mila Vodello. She strikes me as suiting the no-one-lives-forever ethos, or the Austin Powers visual style. She's an international woman of mystery, and her mind is like an exclusive nightclub, psychedelic and very 60s. But, like many of the minds in Psychonauts, it does contain dark secrets. Also staffing the camp is a man named Ford Cruller, an old gentleman whose mind is obviously going as he introduces himself as a janitor, a chef, an admiral. There is a secret behind Mr. Cruller, but I think it's one I'll let you discover for yourself, although it's not hard to see it coming. Of course, a camp isn't just its staff. It has children staying at it as well. Now, there are loads of children, and to be honest, they all are quite well-realised characters. But the real highlights are Lily, who is the love interest of this game. She drives the plot forward in many ways, not just with her many years of experience at the summer camp, but also through her dreams and abduction. She also happens to be the daughter of Truman Zanotto, head of the Psychonauts. There's also the required bully and henchman in the form of Bobby Zilch and Benny Fidello, the unpleasant characters. And... Just for a bit of colour, a young boy named Dogen Bool, brainless and wears a tinfoil hat because sometimes, just sometimes, he makes people's head explode. 
He also explodes squirrels. He's charming, and he's also quite important to the plot. And for much of the game, that's what it is. You're at the summer camp, you're taking lessons with the instructors, although they do become increasingly bizarre, as you enter into your own mind to do battle with your inner demons, and you also engage in very platform gamey treasure hunts, looking for arrowheads buried in the grounds, or what's known as a psi-core and psi-cards, objects which can be combined together to gain you experience. You travel around levelling up, gaining new powers, earning rankings from your instructors, and generally learning to be a psychonaut. Then the game takes its biggest twist. You see, this isn't a game about a summer camp. It's not a game about children. And although for much of the game you think you're up against Bobby Zilch and Benny Fidelio in their childish bullying ways, they're not the antagonists. This game is a lot more mature and dark than it at first appears. You see, as I mentioned, Lily is abducted, and she's not the only one. You awake with a disturbing image, which leads you to a man named Dr. Loboto, who works at the asylum. Now, Dr. Loboto is a dentist, but he is a dentist who grinds pepper into the faces of his victims from one of his mechanical arms, making them sneeze their brains out. I did tell you this wasn't a normal game. So now we have a new villain, and he is at the asylum, the Thorny Tower's home for the disturbed, where a whole new ream of characters is introduced, be it Boyd Cooper, the security guard, who is utterly paranoid, with a mindscape obsessed with conspiracy theories, a man who rants and raves, some of it meaningless, some of it not, or Dr. Loboto himself, as I said, the semi-mechanical dentist who has a thing for removing brains, who just happens to look a little like Bobby Zilch. And then there's the inmates. Fred Bonaparte. He doesn't believe he's Napoleon, he's descended from him, and he's stuck in an internal, internalised strategy game based on the Battle of Waterloo. Or Edgar Tegli, the obsessed artist who has a lost love. Or Gloria von Guten, whose mindscape is that of a dark, phantom-haunted theatre, incapable of producing anything but the most mediocre of plays. Along the way there are other characters, of course, like giant lungfish, possessed, who is the beast of the lake, who drags you under the water, or is chased under the water, and whose mind you enter as well as the people around you, and you become the giant attacking Godzilla-style monster attacking Lungfishopolis, Gogolore, so named for the goggles that Raz wears. There's the censors, beings whose only existence is to stamp out anything that shouldn't exist in a given mindscape. There's explosive cookie-throwing girl scouts. There's giant monsters living in the mind. There's nightmares. There's one of the most twisted father issues ever given form. So as you can see, it's a colourful game. There's a wide variety of humorous situations. I haven't even touched on things like the telekinetic bears or the pyrokinetic cougars created by the Cytanium explosion. But how does the game play? Well, it's a platformer, by and large, and it plays with many of the traditional platforming elements you've come to expect. Running around, jumping, leaping from platform to platform, tightrope walking, zip lining, swinging from pole to pole, scrambling up nets. Of course, there are some unusual elements in this, or it wouldn't be Psychonauts. Levels, especially those internalised into the mind, lend themselves to rolling around as a sphere, or indeed, they rotate around you, creating walls where there were floors and walls where there were ceilings. It's a peculiar game, to say the least. And this leads to 
probably the only fair criticism of it. Yes, the game does have some camera issues, being such an unlikely platformer, and perhaps even some control issues, but in all honesty, I can't say that I've played a third-party platform-style game that didn't have camera issues, that didn't have control issues. It's one that can never be mastered to the satisfaction of everybody. It's just unfortunate that Psychonauts didn't master it to the satisfaction of more people than it did. Of course, it more than makes up for that in other areas, not least the humour, but also in the powers it gives you. Oh yes, you're psychic, so you get psychic powers. Anything from throwing objects at your enemies with telekinesis, casting mental confusion upon them, clairvoyance allowing you to see the world through these bizarre people's eyes, which is quite an experience, let me tell you, and of course pyrokinesis leading to setting your enemies and squirrels alike on fire. What more do you need to know? There's some bizarre gameplay going on as well, not just the hide-and-seek with arrowheads and psychors and psychards. When you're inside people's minds, there are some universal elements, most of them based on puns of greater or lesser quality. You find luggage tags strewn throughout people's minds, and there are also bags that match. You can help people with their mental baggage. You get a piece of equipment from Cruller at one point, which you can use to hoover away people's mental cobwebs. There are also vaults of the mind. There are figments of the imagination. There are all sorts of mental puns to encounter inside people's mindscapes. But ultimately, what makes Psychonauts a great game, one of the greatest underrated hits of all time, is the fact that it just presents itself in such a well-realized way. You enjoy the whole experience. The cutscenes are beautifully animated and beautifully acted. The humor genuinely makes you laugh, or certainly genuinely makes me laugh. And the gameplay, whilst not technically perfect, can be forgiven. After all, Tim Schafer is outside of his comfort area here. This is the first game he's made that isn't an adventure game, and as a debut platformer, it's very nearly perfect. So it's a great package that was mismarketed, and ultimately didn't achieve the kind of success it really should have. And that's not all, either. This game also has a genuinely creepy side, from early missions where you go inside your own mind, or rather Raz's, and confront the reasons he ran away from the circus, his own inner demons, as I mentioned before, to the times when you find the darkness in other people's minds, whether they're people that you thought were otherwise happy, like Vordello, whose bright, exclusive nightclub belies the sadness and darkness within, the nightmares that you can unlock, or whether it's the madness of Oleander, or indeed the madness of the asylum inmates. This game deals with mental issues, obsession, paranoia, bipolar disorder, trauma, loss, father issues, in, at times, some frankly disturbing and uncomfortable ways, it presents itself with this childhood innocence that amplifies that to a whole new level. I think that's an incredibly bold move, and stepping away from the sort of family friendliness that Tim Schafer's LucasArts work represented, and into an area where he's not only allowed to have a character explore a drug-addled vision, as was cut from Full Throttle, but explore the realm of mental disorder in such an upfront way. I think that's frankly brave in this industry, which, apart from violence and sex, or even just violence, is incredibly nervous about touching on anything remotely taboo, and it should have had more attention than it did, in my opinion.
but it's a game that's spreading through word of mouth and gaining a second coming as a cult classic. People are starting to realise what they missed, as evidenced by the fact that Microsoft have included it in the lineup of Xbox Originals available for download on the Xbox 360, as evidenced by the fact that Steam has included it on its collection of games to download for the PC. So it's not dead yet, and you haven't missed your chance. If you've never played the game, go and get it. It doesn't cost more than $20 on either platform, and you might even be able to find a second-hand version in a shop, if you're lucky. Me, I've already got my copy. I'm enjoying it thoroughly. I don't know how many times I've played through this game, but I know I haven't played through it for the last. It's one of those games where you do genuinely pick up new elements to the game every time you play. There's a subtlety to it that keeps you coming back. So I hope you take my advice and seek it out. It is a great game, and if you don't believe me, just go to Google and do a search for Zero Punctuation and find out what a man named Yahtzee has to say about it. I endorse him wholeheartedly, especially about the pencil thing. Now that really is it from the Christmas special of World 1 Stage 1. As I said partway through the show, do email us at world1stage1 at gmail.com. We do love your feedback, and we look forward to getting back to you as a team once more in the new year. I hope you enjoyed me going on about Psychonauts, but if you didn't, feel free to let me know that I really do need Jack around after all. Goodbye. (laughs) 